Thank you for joining us today on Salon Sluice. My name is Leslie and my co-host is Melissa. I want to remind all of you who listen to us on a regular basis, or maybe this is your first time, to please follow, subscribe, like, share, whatever the case may be for the platform you are on. Now, we do post these episodes on YouTube with video for those of you who'd rather watch. We enjoy making these shows, but unless you interact with us, we're not sure if you do. So please jump on your social media and let us know. You can find us under Salon Sluice on almost any platform. Now, we hope you enjoy today's show. Thank you. Currently, I'm at the friend's house. Um, Melissa is in her own office getting ready. <laughs> right, Melissa? Yes. Can <laughs> I do a little intro for us? Yes, I will. Please. Get my sexy voice on. Do it. Hello, Salon Sleuth fans. How are we today, Leslie? I'm doing good. What's up, Melissa? Oh my gosh, it feels like forever since I have talked to you. Well, it was just this week, wasn't it? Monday? Well, okay, true. But we didn't- <laughs> Four days ago. Before. We didn't, okay. Okay, we chatted personally because we were at, I was at the salon, but we haven't like recorded and so much has gone on. Like last week was literally exhausting. We had, okay, so last week we had Halloween, the election, and the election went on for days and days. And then we had like the bachelorette. You're supposed to laugh. You clearly do not know about The Bachelorette. Is that a TV show? I've never seen it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my. I watch movies. I don't watch TV shows. Oh, Leslie. Okay, so first, sorry. Of all, first of all, fans, before we uh, started recording, she said that she has never seen Friends. Okay, we need to do some educating here. <laughs> you need to start watching Friends and Ella and probably Lucy too will love it. Ella especially like my kids have all now watched them and then the bachelorette don't let your girls watch yet but um I don't don't typically watch the bachelorette or the bachelor because I think it's just a horrible like horrible thing for our society but there was this whole scandal last week I can't believe you didn't hear about it no they had to replace the bachelorette after like four episodes because she'd already fallen in love with this guy isn't the point of the show? Yeah, but not in like four episodes. <laughs> oh. Okay. It was Dale, 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 Dale. So anyway, she got engaged to Dale and they brought a new person in. So like these 20 guys or whatever, I don't even know how many were left, sorry. Um, got a new bachelorette all of a sudden. Well, it sounds like a good episode then. It was weird. Right? <laughs> it was weird. So yeah, so I did watch that. But then you know, the election results come on Saturday. It was a crazy week. I was exhausted by the end of it. I don't know about you. It was very exciting week last week. And women, ladies, we broke the glass ceiling. We now have elected the first female that will be in an elected position in the White House, which is super exciting. And Handful Bra has a holiday uh, pattern that they have launched um, and I don't remember if it's actually called breaking glass or glass ceiling or whatever but anyways they have it for 30% off if you use the code card me 
So they're one of our sponsors. You can still use the salon sleuths code and get 25% off of your first order. But this is actually a better deal. And so if you want to try out the bra, it's actually 30% off of your whole order. And the adjustable or this new uh, pattern breaking glass comes in the adjustable, the double down, and my favorite is the, I think it's called the fave V, um, but it's, I call it the deep V because it has a really deep V line on it. Oh, so cute. So anyways, that's to celebrate a historic event that happened last week and just wanted to share that. So how are you doing? I'm good. Everyone's good? Yeah, so far. Good, good, good. Yeah. Well, I'd love to hear it. Well, I have a big story for you today. I can't wait. Oh, wait, I wanted to ask you, like, I get what I get when I tell stories, I get it from people who have suggested it when they're in the salon. Uh How do you get your stories and what inspires you to pick your things? Well, I think it sort of depends, um, but usually I just kind of fall onto them. This one is kind of has an interesting story that I was actually going to tell you is, do you remember our conversation with Jeanette about the missing bridesmaid? Yes. Okay. Well, she had some information. And so I started researching serial killers that had been in Oregon. And I found one that I'm like, could this be him? Could this be the guy that actually killed her? Right. So I start looking into him. His name was Bobby Jack Fowler. Okay. So then I was cleaning out my garage one day and I had a podcast on. And another thing I love to listen to are these missing person stories on podcasts. And for some reason, the Oregonian, which is our local newspaper here, has had some amazing like five part, nine part stories about some serial killers here in Oregon and things. And so I was listening to one about this guy named John Aykroyd. And in it, they start talking about these two girls. And I'm like, wait, those are the same two girls that they were saying this Bobby Jack Fowler killed. So what's the deal? So I started researching it. I'm like, oh my God. Okay. Bobby Jack Fowler, mean dude, interesting dude. We're going to, we're going to cover him, but this John Ackroyd, he's a crazy kook too. And so basically there's these two girls, which we'll discuss, but Sheila and Melissa that, um, have gone missing. They have both, they suspect that either of the serial killers could have done this. So what what I'm gonna that? Discuss, what's that? What year was that? Uh, 1990. Okay. Yeah. So let me start my story. So that, that's how I found this story. I usually just kind of fall into them, um, you know, doing some research or whatever. And, and this one kind of came, came about a little bit differently. Um, okay. So the story on the Oregonian, you can pull it up. It's a podcast. It's called the ghosts of highway 20. You actually can also pull it up on Google. Um, I think it's a little more interesting to listen to, but the staff writer, Noelle Crombie, I want to give her a shout out. She investigated this story for two years and she did an amazing, amazing job with this. It was really well done. It was um, just a really good production. So anyway, shout out to her. But 
here's where it starts. 1977. How old were you in 77? I was five. You were five? Yeah. Okay. What were you, six? I was six, yeah. I guess that's about <laughs> right. <laughs> A woman named Marlene was picked up after the sister's rodeo on Highway 20. She was drunk. She had a new baby at home and this was kind of her, you know, girl's night out. And she was really drunk and she decided that she was gonna ditch her friends and she wanted to get a ride home back to her boyfriend and young child. So she's kind of walking, they, they didn't make this super clear, but she's kind of walking, stumbling around near Highway 20. And she was picked up by this man who picked her up in the car and she was kind of so drunk that I don't think she was completely aware of kind of what was unfolding until all of a sudden he pulled off the side of the road and he pulled her out of the car and started raping her and beating her and being aggressive with her. Well, of course, she's just like laying there like, okay, how do I survive this, right? And she does, and he had kind of ripped her boot, ripped her jeans, her jean shorts, puts her back in the car and takes her home. And in the car ride, one in particular weird thing is that he asks her if she'll be her, his girlfriend, which is kind of odd. And of course she's like, yes, cause she wanted to make it home and she wanted to, you know, get to the place she was going without being murdered. But after she was home, she, of course, told her boyfriend at the time, and they went to the hospital. She did a rape kit. They said she had a lot of um, abrasions down there, and she was clearly had been, you know, abused. She told the police. She told the police that his name was John Aykroyd, and nothing happened. She was basically virtually ignored and um, John Ackroyd just denied it. And now that, that was a girlfriend, did she get their phone number? Like, how does that work? I, I don't exactly know. They don't go into that. Okay. But um, no, he didn't like do any follow up, but he definitely, um, it made a mark in his mind because uh, uh, you'll see he goes on to not make, make sure there's no um, uh, people that can talk, basically. Okay. So this was 1977 though, remember, this is quite a while. Um, and she was a young Native American woman and in her, her own words, she learned that no one would listen to her because she wasn't worth listening to and that nobody really cared. So a year later in 1978, Kay Turner, which is a woman from, she's 35, she's a woman from Eugene, she goes for a job jog near Camp Sherman. She's staying with her husband and some family friends in a cabin, and she decides to go for the jog. And later that morning, about 1030, she still hasn't arrived back home, and her husband's concerned. It's the day before Christmas, and so they start looking for her. Well, again, there was, they had the, the last kind of sighting of her was a highway worker. And um, he said, hey, you know, the last time I saw her, she was running near Camp Sherman. And I actually, right after that, strangely enough, saw another highway worker. And that highway worker I actually knew, his name was John Ackroyd and he was driving the 
opposite way I was. So one highway worker's going um, the opposite way K is going, and this other highway worker is going the way K is going. So they are, the police are kind of looking for her. And in this, they start really being questioning the husband instead. They start becoming suspicious because they found that she was having an affair with two other men and maybe they didn't have a good relationship. Maybe they didn't have a good marriage. And so they just sort of gloss over the fact that, you know, John Ackroyd was there, but they did question him. And he said, yeah, I saw her running and that was it. So at this point, this sort of goes cold. They're really not getting anywhere. And they were, Central Oregon was still reeling from this attack. And it wasn't, but uh, I think it was a couple of months actually later. Yeah, it was in the spring. So this was springtime. Two women, college women from Yale University were sleeping in Klein Falls State Park, which is less than an hour from Camp Sherman. And a man in a pickup truck ran over them while they were sleeping. Armed with an ax, he then attacked them, but they both survived and no one was ever charged for this. So now you've got a community reeling from Kay Turner going missing. You've got these two girls being run over in a park and Ackroyd's name actually came up on this one. And, you know, nobody had any real evidence. Um, but at this point, the Thomas Hanna the first highway worker that originally reported seeing Kay and also reported seeing John Ackroyd, they start talking to him again. And um, at this point, Ackroyd was 29 and he'd worked for the highway department for about a year. The investigation, the Kay Turner investigation really turns towards him, um, even though it had kind of come up with the girls being run over in the park but they kind of it kind of reignites this k turner missing missing persons and he had worked for the like i said for the highway department for about a year he was 29 years old and working for the highway department it meant that he spent long hours on the highway um that runs east and west now do you know where highway 20 is i don't know where is that exactly okay so it runs from newport all the way through Eugene, through Sweet Home, Lebanon, and then through Central Oregon, and actually back then through Bend. But do you know where the Saniam Junction is? Um, I'm terrible with directions. Okay. <laughs> well, when you're going to Bend, you actually come across Highway 20, um, the way I'm assuming you go over Highway 22. But he grew up in this area, and so... He lived in Sweet Home, grew up in Sweet Home, which is along Highway 20. His house was like right off of Highway 20. So Ackroyd really knows this whole stretch of highway really, really well. And he's working long, light night hours on Highway 20. And he's left alone a lot of the time. And so they start questioning him again. And on the morning of Kay's disappearance, he says that he got off work, which was about 25, 25 miles away in Sanium Junction. 
he got off work about 6.30 a.m. and he claims that he drove to Camp Sherman to hunt coyotes. The detectives focused, um, had been focusing on Kay's husband, so they really didn't, um, didn't follow up on that. But now they're like, okay, there's a little more credence to here, credence to this. Well, kind of backtracking a little bit, track, trackers had actually found footprints in the frozen ground right after she went missing, not, not but a couple weeks, that resembled Kay's Nike waffle shoes. Because remember those waffle, those Nike waffle shoes? She had those on. And they actually found tracks of hers or what they thought could have been hers because she knew they, they knew she had those shoes. And they found the soles of another man's boots, much larger man. And they found these markings and then they were scuffed like the larger person had drug the smaller person away. But local police told the tra trackers at the time to drop it. So now fast forward, it's eight months later and they're talking to John Ackroyd again and uh, they still don't have anything. Um, it's been a couple months since the girls got run over by the truck. And in August, John Ackroyd walks into the Camp Sherman store. Have you ever it's like one of those survival stores that has a lot of different things, fishing and hunting. And we used to take the kids there when we go to the fish, fish hatchery because there's a fish hatchery for the Metolius River, just not too far away. And then we go to the Camp Sherman store and we get dehydrated ice cream. Mm. And, you know, usually we go in the summertime, so it's so stinking hot. So we maybe get ice cream or something cold. And then we get this dehydrated ice cream, which the kids thought was just cool and amazing and everything. But it's a cute little town. And, and really, there's just a store. But at this time, he was really anxious and, and sweaty. He was like sweating profusely. And the storekeeper had noticed him because she recognized him. He'd been coming in like every few months. And one of the previous visits, she had seen him fondling himself while looking at adult magazines in the store. Gross. And she went to go get her husband to confront him and get him out of the store. And when her husband got back there, he was gone. So this time, instead of going, doing anything else, he came right in and he said that he'd found Kay Turner's remains. And he says that he was hunting rabbits with his dog and he knew exactly where it was. So she, of course, called state police. They came in and he also said at the time while he was waiting for the police that he was, he was in trouble. This was bad news for him. And she said, well, why? And he said, well, because I was the last one to see her that day that she was running. So anyways, the state police got there and he led them about a mile, or sorry, about a half of a mile off the road where he pointed out small pieces of clothing and bone in the Ponderosa pine thicket. So it took a week to find more pieces that were kind of strewn around. They found a shoe, they found her remains, at least some of them. And best of all, they found her watch. The reason this was significant is because the watch stem had been broken off. And um, they know from research that when the stem gets broken off, it will note the time on the, the watch. So it stopped at 927, December 24th. 
So that will become significant because they know that that is when she went missing and likely was killed. So he becomes the prime suspect in this. All eyes are pointed on him again. And he starts changing his story, which you and I both know that people that have something to hide end up doing that. And now he's admitting that he'd stopped and he'd actually spoken with her. Then he later admitted that he'd seen her decomposing body two months earlier, but he never thought of calling the police at that time. He said he was uh, out there, you know, hunting again. And he said that her breast had been punctured by a bullet and that her throat was slashed. So then he also adds, oh, well, I wasn't really alone the morning of Christmas Eve when I saw her. And so the police are like, oh, okay, well, that's new news to us. He says that he was hunting with a friend named Roger Dale Beck. And then he added, the reason he didn't say this is because they weren't hunting coyote, like he had originally said, they were actually poaching deer. So investigators continued to look and search the area and they just couldn't find any physical evidence to place him at the crime scene, him or, or Beck. Um, and they got then sidetracked because another convicted killer confessed to the crime of Kay Turner. So the investigation stalled again. And he continued to work for the state highway department and he continued to work alone. But then he got married. He married a woman and she had, guess what? A 13 year old daughter named Rashonda. Rashonda was a nice girl. She was a sweet girl. She loved her mom and her brother. Um, her dad was in actually Southern Oregon. Um, but to make a very long story short there, if you want to get more into it, I definitely recommend the Oregonian podcast, but on July 10th of 1990, so there's quite a gap in there, Rashonda goes missing and she had confided in friends that she was having trouble with her stepdad and that he had been beating her as well as molesting her. She actually had right before she went missing, went down to her dad's and was going to stay with her dad. Well, that didn't really work out. And so she came back home and her brother actually stayed with her dad in Southern Oregon. She comes back and not too long after that, she goes missing. So here's the story of the day that she goes missing. Her mother and Ackroyd left for work. Ackroyd always took her mother to work and her mother was working at Black Butte uh, Ranch, which was about 30 miles east of where they lived from Santa Am. So he went up there. Well, actually he went over there. That would be east of where they lived. He went east 30, 30 miles and then he drove back to go to work very close by to their house. And instead of going to work, he actually called in and said he wasn't coming in because some parts ha hadn't come in for something that he was fixing and he was going to take the day off. And which was really kind of suspicious because the people that he worked with was like, we have plenty of work that needs to get done. You don't, we don't really have to wait for those parts, but whatever. 
you're taking the day off. Okay, fine. So he claims that when he got home, she was just watching TV, curled up on the couch. And he claimed um, that he had told her, hey, I'm going to go photograph some deer. Do you want to come with me? Take a ride and go with me. And she had said no. So he says that he left and he went and did his photography and, you know, did his thing. And then he picked up Rashonda's mom from work when it was time for her to get off. And they both came home. They noticed that she wasn't home, that she hadn't done any of her chores. All of her things that she would have potentially taken were strewn out in her room. Um, but other than that, there was no message from her, no suspicious activity in the house, nothing that they thought was questionable other than she doesn't normally leave and she doesn't normally leave without a note. So later, um, actually the next day, uh, the mother still having not had her home, she was concerned and Linda called 911 and 911 said, okay, why didn't you call earlier? Why didn't you call us last night? And she said, well, my husband said that you can't file a missing person's case until 24 hours after um, they're missing. And they said, no, that's not correct. Not with a child. So, and I've heard this oftentimes before to all of our listeners, no, 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 just call. So the police came and they asked a bunch of questions. Um, and Linda basically said, you know, my husband Ackroyd uh, was the last person to have seen her. And they kind of laid out the facts for her. This is a kind of an interesting side note that they learned after talking to Ackroyd is that they had kind of um, issues in their marriage because of his low libido. And um, that particular night that they came home, um, they ended up having dinner and they had sex after dinner. And to his own account, it was very good. But they both noted that it was very rare for them to have sex. So obviously there's some connection there. They feel like, oh, he got aroused by this and, you know. Rose. Yes, yes, yes. So at this time, the investigators in the DA were on to Ackroyd. They believed that he, they, he had gotten away with Case Turner's murder. Um, they still suspected him for running over the two girls. And they knew that he had something to do with this Rashonda disappearance. So Ackroyd didn't seem panicked at all. He told investigators, listen to this, her weight, her bra size, but he didn't know her birthday. Ew. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's sad. And of course he continued to gain suspicion because he really basked in the attention, which I think is another telltale sign that we always hear of. Um, and he became aroused when they showed him a pair of pants believed to be Rashonda's, which apparently they were not, but he did become aroused from that. And he wondered out loud to friends if she'd been dumped or buried in the woods threatened with a knife, tied up or, and gagged, and her body rolled in plastic. So he can't help himself, but keep talking. Yeah, that's like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, well, that's what happened to her then. He also told police that maybe it was the girl's development that drew a predator to the junction. So he's just saying, what he's he saying feels. his truth, basically. Yes, 
I mean, he's telling them what happened. He is absolutely. That's then right. he also speculated somebody could have come in, knocked her over the head, thrown her over the sh their shoulders, and just walked out with an, about, without anybody seeing her. Maybe they just walked in, saw an opportunity, and grasped, grasped at it, is what he said. That was a quote. Well, and the wife was the suspicious after, like, when he went to go in the woods to take pictures, like, yes, same day. Like, I think it was all suspicious, but they I'd like had to see the funny. pictures. Yeah, but you know as well as I do, it's really hard in a no body case, yeah, to convict him. So they interrogated him for months as they investigated. And they just couldn't find anything that implicated Ackroyd. They knew he was the killer. And by early 1992, investigators were closing in. They really felt like the Kay Turner murder was their best shot in getting him, even though they knew he had something to do with his stepdaughter as well. But by this time, he had split from Rashonda's mom and was living with his mother back in Sweet Home. This is where he'd been transferred to the Corvallis State Highway Patrol. And because people back in San Am were really uncomfortable with him and they were like, look, we don't feel comfortable with this guy. He's a wackadoo. Like, instead of firing him, they actually just transfer him to Corvallis. So not long after he was living again in Sweet Home, he met a couple girls because of course he wanted to hang out where the young people were. And he'd kind of like, you know, kind of lurk in the, in the side shadows and, and watch these kids and, and especially the girls. And he meets these girls, two girls, Melissa Sanders and Sheila Swanson. And at the same time, investigators are closing in. They had a case that was going in front of the grand jury. But within weeks, Melissa and Sheila are dead. Melissa and Sheila had went to Newport to camp with um, one of the girls' families. They went to Beverly Beach State Park on the coast. And by the way, Highway 20 runs there. And this was actually part of his um, zone, his area. So the girls one night had gotten bored with camping and they kind of told the parents, hey, look, we want to go back. We want to go home. And the family was like, you know, we're not going home. We're here for a week or whatever, you know, we're not leaving. So the girls had gotten on the payphone and they tried to get their boyfriends to come pick them up, but the boyfriends refused. And they said, fine, we're just going to hitchhike. So the next morning, the family wakes up and the girl's tent is empty. They just figured, okay, fine. They got a ride from a friend back home and they continued their camping trip unconcerned for the, for the rest of the week. Well, going back to the kind of friendship between Ackroyd and the girls, they did think he was odd. Like he's an odd middle-aged man, you know, he kind of lurks around, but they of course had no idea that he was suspected in, you know, these other murders or anything. So they just thought he was a weird guy who was kind of interested in them and he had given them rides other places and stuff. So no one really knows if they called him or if he was just driving by, which I have a hard time believing that it was just, ooh, he's, you know, driving by. Um, but either way, the family comes home and they wait a couple more days before calling police. Well, at some point, the, the, the state highway 
and the whole town is a buzz because these girls have disappeared. Months later, um, they are questioning him and they're talking about, um, you know, his uh, relationship to these two girls. And one of the men from the state highway department that he worked with recalls a story when he hears about Ackroyd being kind of tied to these. And he tells a story and he doesn't remember exactly when it happened, but he definitely, he and another guy were there. And he remembers um, that they were surprised to see Ackroyd's personal truck was still there in the parking lot, which meant that Ackroyd had not yet returned from his shift. I think they were starting their shift and they were talking about what a you know long night it was going to be or whatever because they had the night shift and they thought well that's kind of weird that you know his truck is still here and that he hasn't returned from work because his shift is over right well then all of a sudden you know they're kind of hanging out getting ready for their shift and he pulls up and he's got his shirt sleeves rolled up and he is covered in dried blood his arms his hands the whole nine yards and they were like, dude, you know, what is up? Are you okay? Like what happened? He goes, oh, it's fine. I ran into a deer and I had to gut him out. And they were like, well, what, what'd you do with the carcass? Like, where is it? And he goes, oh, I just threw the carcass in the bush, you know, in the brushes or whatever. And that really, that story never really got past office gossip. Like people thought it was weird, but okay, fine. He hit a deer and kind of weird that he gutted it out. Like most people don't do that. They, they're planning on throwing it. They throw it in the bush, right? So anyways, the girls were later found off of Ackroyd's route off Highway 20. They'd been strangled, bound, and too much else. It was hard to determine what had happened to them. But the one thing that they found was a rivet. And these rivets were often used by highway mechanics. So this is kind of when the office gossip reaches the police station. They didn't remember what date it was, but they did remember that this had happened. So weeks after the teens had um, bodies had been found, um, at this point, Ackroyd is already in jail for Kay Turner's murder, and he was never interviewed after Melissa and Sheila's homicide. Ackroyd, his, his, he was lawyered up. The lawyers never offered to let him talk to police about Melissa and Sheila's homicide, but Ackroyd was um, one of many suspects due to their kind of sorted group of friends and acquaintances. They had drug dealers. Um, one of the things that the reason I fell on the story is another serial killer was to have been known to be kind of frequenting the area that they went missing. And so he's another suspect for their case. And so their case has really never been solved. But a lot of people speculate that this rivet had been found that indicates that maybe he was a likely choice for, um, and he also knew them. So he's maybe the likely choice for the suspect who killed them. Well, what do you think about this with the bridesmaid then? Well, I actually still think that Bobby Jack Fowler is um, a very likely suspect for the missing uh, bridesmaid. 
I have been so busy at work that I just haven't gotten um, more details on him and kind of what he was about and talked to the investigators on their case. But I found this fascinating because I, I thought it was weird that he's, these two girls have sets of, you know, suspects and there's two serial killers. Are you effing kidding me in the same area at the same time? Like, I just thought that was amazing. And how many times this guy had done things that he was even suspected on and just kind of Got went under the radar, like, especially the 13 year old, I think, boy, she didn't need to die. Like, Did they ever find her? No, she's never been found. She's yeah. never been found. But John Aykroyd is dead. He died in prison. And um, so we'll never know if he was part of that. He continued until the day he died to say that he didn't do anything. Um, the interesting thing was, is Beck, remember I'd mentioned the guy that he said he was with, Beck's at, at the time, his wife, um, later after she was divorced from him and felt safe, had come and talked to police and she said that they actually um, had both come home covered in blood after Kay Turner's on, on the 24th of December when Kay, did, Kay Turner had died Is and it that she had actually, that? that's him, that's Dan, okay. that's Ackroyd. Right. Yeah. Um, that she actually burned Beck's clothes for him and they told her, they threatened her and said, look, if you don't keep your mouth shut, the same thing is going to happen to you that happened to Kay Turner. So she all but implicated them in that. Um, obviously, they wanted some proof of that. But I think most people believe that he and Beck did do something. Although I think it's a little interesting. There was no second set of footprints at the site and that Beck was definitely a bad dude. Um, he's dead at this time too, but he, he, he's definitely a bad dude. Um, but I don't know how he played into that. So that's kind of an interesting twist on that, but yeah. yeah. That's a good one. I don't, he doesn't fit the, he doesn't look like what Jeanette was saying. He looks more like your other guy. Yeah. For the yeah. bridesmaid chick. I would agree. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. And Dan, this, this, uh, Ackroyd, John Ackroyd guy, when you, I didn't cover this a whole lot, but, um, he was, he didn't do well in school. He didn't have a lot of friends. He wasn't that bright. Like he really had a rough upbringing and not that that's okay, but he also killed animals. Like he had kind of all the telltale signs yeah. of just being a bad dude. Yeah. That sounds bad. Like, what do you do as a parent if your kids are showing these signs? I wouldn't even know where to start. Like, well, yeah, because if you tell on them, then, you know, you risk them being swept into the system, right? Well, but, you want to get them help before it gets to that point, right? But then, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, is it nature or nurture at that point? It might just be the way they're born, right? I think it might be. I think just like a miswiring or something. It has yeah. to be. Isn't that there's some really depressing? good families that have had really bad people come out of them yeah well seemingly good families I mean yes. we don't yeah. know we don't know if there was mental illness in the families we don't know always like what drugs they had taken how much they'd been abused 
you know, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's really hard to know what happens behind closed doors and what happens to a kid. Yeah. Gross. But isn't that story depressing? It's really sad. It's a good one though. Well, and the crazy thing is I love Beverly beach. Yes. One of like our favorites. It's really pretty. Yeah. Except the beach scares me because of the earthquake that's coming. Oh, okay. Yes. And that's a really bad beach to be on if you're yeah have an earthquake because you're really like stuck. Yes. And did you hear that sneaker waves? There's they're talking about sneaker waves today at our beach in mm-hmm. Oregon. Yeah. That happens a lot, but we were going to go to Beverly Beach and go there for Thanksgiving. And then it was sold out like within the next 30 hours or something. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you can't even get a spot, you know. Hello, Salon Sleuth fans. My co-host Leslie owns the Executive Polish Salon, and we decided to have a podcast together. So here on our podcast, we're going to share our interest in crime cases and the psychic world. If you like us, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. We'd love to get a five-star review from you on whatever platform you listen. And we're also on YouTube. You can see us live and on in action. And we thank you very much for listening. Thank you. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.